Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Pretty good. That that voice that you heard was my daughter, Sophia. She had the honor of introducing our podcast today. I mean, I don't know. I think we may have a new host, um, but uh, hopefully you guys can give me one more try before you kick me out of the host chair. Um, but it is me. You could call me Chris. You could call me Torres. You could call me whatever you want. Just don't call me Christopher. Uh, I I've talked about I feel literally feel physical pain when people call me that. So uh, let me ask my co-host here. Let me bring him in. Mike Carter. How do you feel when people call you Michael? I don't like it. Um, Historically, it's always meant that I'm in trouble of some kind. My mother, my grandmother called me Michael a lot. And my mom still does to some extent. But when other people say it, I will ask them politely the first time to please not do that again and refer to me as Michael because I prefer Mike. And I think we should always be respectful of other people uh, and ask them what they would like to be called by. So you said you like to be called Chris or Torres. You're fine. I'm I'm fine with being called Carter. Kids at school call me Carter all the time. I don't feel it's disrespectful. They don't call me Mike, obviously. But I've been called a lot of odd things at school, including one thing that I've shared with you offline where a student referred to me as White Shrek. Um, I, I have sort of a a Shrek like build, you know, portly. Um, I'm not green. Uh, I do, I am white. And she referred to me as white Shrek. And alternately, alternately later on, she also referred to me as pillow belly, uh, which I think was a nice way of saying fat. So (laughs) I respond to all of those things. It's fine. I just, I don't really care for Michael either. Same way you don't care for Christopher. All right. So I'm here. You're, you'd rather have the pillow belly as opposed to Michael. Is that? Fair to say. Pillow, pillow belly would be better than Michael. Yeah, Chris, for sure. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, we uh, we have a, a good show for you guys. We're not just going to be talking about names today. We have a special guest uh, bringing in today, Jesse Doherty, uh, Nationals beat writer for the Washington Post. Uh, so here he is, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. All right. You are uh, just back from the winter meetings. So, you know, obviously this these winter meetings were, I got to say, action packed, you know, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's been a few years. Uh, I know we had COVID and there were a few years we didn't have them, but it was nice to just uh, to get all this news coming in, all, all of these signings. So uh, tell me, Jesse, what did you have any takeaways from the winter meetings? And just in general, tell us, I, I would like love to be there someday. So I would just love to know what is it like to actually be there? Yeah, I'm exhausted. That's the first yeah. thing. So not liable for any like, mis- if I mix up names or stats, I'm coming off a red eye <laughs> flight. So I'm just gonna throw that oh, out there right now. Um, no, it's, it's fun, man. I mean, I mean, takeaway in my life is that like, I had an easy week. Um, the team I cover was Largely inactive, aside mm-hmm. from a really momentous Rule Five pick. I don't mean to denigrate that board. I'm sure he's a fine player, but yeah, no, it's a. It was it was cool. I mean, there's a lot going on, especially this year. I think last time we were there was 2019. It was at the same venue in San Diego, and that year actually was pretty good too. It was Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon, 
And then Josh Donaldson was after that. Um, two years before that, 2018 was the year when it was just like totally flat. And that's when mm-hmm. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell, all those guys were kind of left in the cold and, and, the, and the dominoes were really slow to fall. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly more fun when it's this kind of, it's this kind of deal. I was, I was in the airport last night when, when Xander signed. So it's like, it was kind of winding down. And I think even Heim Bloom, I read a Boston Globe story that he was getting off flight when he found out Xander was leaving. So it was pretty much wire to wire. I mean, from the beginning, Trey Turner was the first morning. Uh, and then Xander at the end of the weekend, at the end of the week. So yeah, as far as winter meetings go, and then as far as like, you know, it's a lot of uh, hanging out at the lobby bar at the venue and uh, talking to agents and stuff. So it's it's a good time for sure. It was crowded. I think people were just excited to be out of their house. Yeah, um, yeah. I, and you mentioned the Nationals really weren't too active. So I want to get into kind of what they're what they're doing here, what their plan is. We we know that they're really in the middle of a rebuild. Um, mm-hmm. We know they're they're not going to be bringing in any any big free agents, but. Um, you know, just want to start out by talking about them at a uh, a broader level here, and mm-hmm. you know, I know one major thing that is changing, and you wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, was that they're really making a push to become more analytically, more data driven. Um, so I'm really interested to learn more about that and and how that's going to change their player development, and what immediate impact do you think that's going to have on the team uh, this year? Yeah, it's interesting because so they're extremely far behind. And that's just like, that's the subtext of basically any move they're making right now in terms of modernizing, whether it's in video room, whether it's technology they use in the minor leagues, whether it's with the, the, the staff they're bringing in um, or hiring for, they're r- really behind. And, and what that means is if you're always catching up, it's hard to, it's hard to fully catch up because they're adding Hawkeye cameras and they're adding biomechanists and they're adding you know, staff to process data at their affiliates. Now, progressive teams did that five, 10 years ago. So what are they doing now that you're not doing? So, so it's it's really hard. I mean, it takes, it would take a really, really aggressive winter and frankly, a lot of, a lot of money, uh, far mm-hmm. less than you to pay real players. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's what they're not doing right now. So it's the money sitting there is, is that they, is that they really have to catch up and well, the material effect is going to be hard to see for a while because what happens is if you don't have those things for so long, it's not part of the culture. So you can right. have as many cameras as you want and you can hire mm-hmm. as many smart people as you want. But if they're not enabled to work with players on the ground level, if it's not part of the language, if it's not part of the scouting process, both in player acquisition, pregame scouting, uh, you know, game planning, all those things, that takes a really long time. So I don't think it can hurt. And they might avoid situations like last year when, you know, Austin both left and was pretty adamant on the record about saying that he got so much more information in Baltimore than he did in Washington and mm-hmm. fixed his mechanics and turned his season around and maybe even his career around. Like they might avoid some sort of micro situations, but like as far as like seeing the results in the wing column or in their player development, like it's going to take a couple of years now. And that's when you're like, okay, so then why weren't they doing this 18, 19, you know, 20, 21. And the answer really is like, I think winning's intoxicating and it can really make you feel like your methods are working. Right. So in some ways they had this run of success for a decade and it just confirmed that, neglecting certain parts of the industry and certain parts of, uh, you know, what was going on in the sport were okay because you know, we're winning ball games, right? It's okay. Sure. Right. sure. Actually, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Falling into, falling into a couple of, of big time first round picks leads you to winning and it does become intoxicating. I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, uh, Jesse, kind of a follow up to what you said, you were talking a little bit about culture. 
How would you characterize, you know, obviously they've had some tough times the last year or two. How would you characterize the clubhouse and the overall culture of the team as you see it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's evolving, I think, because for a while, the the mix was either homegrown players or big name free agents who I think kind of had their methods in place before they got to the Nationals. Like Max Scherzer or Daniel Murphy or man, uh, Patrick Corbin or uh, you can go down the list of like big name guys, Jason Worth, even guys they got. Like when they got to the Nationals, like they were pretty – pretty formed baseball players and they weren't sort of figuring out their process and their routine. They, they had it already. And now it's a mix of homegrown guys and guys from the outside who are, who are young and still figuring that out. So the culture is not so it's not going to be dictated as, as much, I think by the people in play decision makers, it's going to be dictated more by the guys they're bringing in because players are going to be asking for certain things like, Hey, I was at the Padres and we used to do X, Y, Z. Like, where's that? Mm-hmm. Or I was at the Dodgers. And where's that? I mean, they're getting guys from pretty progressive organizations who are used to certain ways of doing things. So I think some of these changes, I mean, sort of the, the cynical way to look at it is, is they're, they're still exploring a sale and they want to look more modern to any central buyer. I mean, like it looks good if you are sort of on the up and up of the coming edge, cutting edge stuff. But I also think it's a response to having young guys who did this in college, who some of them maybe even did in high school and certainly did it at their previous organization. So I think they're adapting to the personnel in a way they haven't had to because in the past, it was either guys who had never been exposed to it in their own organization or guys who said, I get that from my guy back home or I get that mm-hmm. from my personal trainer or you know, I get that from Eric Cressy down in Florida. I don't really necessarily need a, a personalized plan over the offseason because I have my routine and I'm making enough money to really do that on my own. My agency might even do it. You know, it's so I, I think the culture it's in a, it's in a, it's in a fork in the road and it's going in the right direction, I think, because one, some people are smarting up and realizing that three straight last place finishes have to, you know, you don't want to keep doing that. And two, I think the players just have different demands and different interests. Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing the the gap is widening, right? Between the teams who are embracing analytics and data driven practices like the Astros, the Rays, the Yankees. I understand a lot of them have uh, higher payrolls, but not necessarily the raise though, you know, we're just seeing what embracing analytics uh, can do as far as sustainability of success. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, you mentioned uh, you have now players that have come from different organizations, young players, and, and one of them, and and really might be the the number one um, uh, foundational piece that they got in the Juan Soto trade was CJ Abrams. So, want to get some thoughts on him specifically uh two questions regarding him do you see any scenario where cj abrams is not an everyday player for the duration of the season and uh as well i would like to know how aggressive do you think he's going to be on the base pass this coming year yeah i think only if he's hurt would he be out of the lineup i think they're going to play him as much as possible he he just so needs no. to be rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he. Uh, sorry, yes. I was gonna say like no potential like uh, platoon issues if they see him struggling against lefties. You think they're just gonna put him out there? No, no he'll play. He just he just needs major league at bats. I mean, he got to because of the pandemic and then because of some injuries. I mean, he got the Nationals like I, I don't want to throw out a number, but with a very small number of major league appear or professional baseball appearances. I mean, major league appearances. So I think he just needs to get in the box and get in the field and, and just feel the game a bit more. I mean, we. Just, a huge question for him is his plate approach. He just swings a lot of bad pitches. The zone is just really expands it. So I guess like 
the running question is sort of related to like the on-base percentage question, right? I think like with new rule changes, with the Nationals wanting to be more aggressive, with them really having no power in the lineup uh, relatively, I, I think that guys like Abrams, Lane Thomas, Victor Robles, if he's, ever, if he's ever on base, they're going to want those guys to run. So so Abrams, I think, like he'll, he'll have a green light. And uh, I was a little surprised last year, actually, didn't did not see him run a ton, but again, like he wasn't on base long, right down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So I think like those things are obviously going to be related. But it, it, given the opportunities again and the rule changes, and I think team identity being not necessarily what they want to do, but what they're going to have to do to manufacture runs. I mean, I would I would expect to be running a good bit. Yeah, it was interesting on uh, MLB Network uh, listening on the car the other day. Mike Rizzo was on I think yesterday, and he said that he really felt that the team defense really improved once they acquired uh, Abrams and put him at shortstop and put Garcia at second. I know we'll probably talk about that, but just him saying that made me think the same thing that you're saying, Jesse, which is that he's going to be in the lineup come hell or high water or injury uh, yeah, in that totally. regard. So, totally. um, yeah, it was, it was, it could only go up, man. I mean, that first half defense was bad, but I, I, it, it was, it was a notable improvement for sure. One of the things that I'm always interested in, I, I cover uh, writing about closers at fan tracks. And one of the questions I think that's pretty preeminent in a lot of fantasy players' minds is this Washington bullpen. Now, Kyle Finnegan showed some signs last year that he could be potentially the closer. He ran across a couple of hard times as well. Do you see him being the closer to start the year? Do you think that the Nationals are going to spend any money uh, on the back end of their bullpen? Or do you think Finnegan will be the guy to close? No, I think they feel really actually – as much as good as they can about any part of their roster is probably the back end of their pen with mm-hmm. Finnegan and Hunter Harvey. Uh, and you know, who knows with Tanner Rainey and coming off TJ, but right. maybe some return for him too would bulk it up. I think, I think Finnegan should be the closer and be in those safe opportunities. I, the only sort of quasi scenario I could see where they give Harvey some reps is if they're trying to beef up Finnegan's trade value. I think he's really mm-hmm. valuable as a potential like one plus guy bridge to a really good closer. Um, he's been pretty good in his career in multi inning appearances. So, I mean, I, I, they liked him in the ninth last year. I, I, he's been re- he's been really impressive since he came over from Oakland, and I think Harvey kind of profiles me more as like a closer of the future. Uh, they have more control with him if he can stay healthy. He's not going to be one plus guy, get, probably given all the injury concerns in the past. But if I had, if I had to guess right now, um, all things being equal, take matchups out of it. They have a two run lead. I'd say Harvey eighth, Finnegan ninth would be my would be my projection there. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Let, let's move to the rotation and uh, two pieces uh, that I I think are projected to be in the rotation, but want to confirm, you know, what what your thoughts are. Kate Cavalli and Mackenzie Gore. So can you give us a percentage uh, of, I guess, the likelihood that they're going to start the year in the rotation and how many innings approximately do you think they're going to be throwing this year? Yeah, I think I don't want to say 100 because of health you know, concerns, but right. if both guys are healthy, they'll be in the opening day rotation for sure. Okay. So, um, as far as innings, Gore's the weird one. It's, you know, you think of sort of a 15% bump is kind of like a standard of for young guys as they're building their count. Um, I don't want to say standard because teams think of it differently, but that's kind of what the Nationals do. And um, So, Cavalli, Cavalli had 120 in 2021, and then he went down to 100. He would have probably passed 120 if he stays healthy through August and September last year, thinking he had like six starts left maybe. So, I, I could see him maybe – you know, getting a bump on 120 if he was healthy, you know, wire to wire. Um, and then Gore is really weird for me because he didn't only pitch really those first two months and then he has the elbow problems. I think they'll be cautious with him. But again, like they don't really do hard caps. Uh, we saw with Josiah Gray last year, he passed his career high and 
they were saying for weeks, you know, we're going to shut him down, shut him down, shut him down. He ends up going most of the way. Maybe they, maybe they shortened his starts a little bit, but it, I think like they don't, I think they'll want to see guys go all the way. They won't want to necessarily shortchange them. You just might see some shorter starts here and there in the middle of the season, or um, maybe it's fifth inning and they seem like they look good. They might get pulled because again, like this team's not trying to win, win a division. It's just not right. what the goal is. So they can kind of plan it all as if it's a developmental year. Um, I don't really know what that means for totals. Again, Gore, I'm really stumped on just because he's coming off such a bizarre year and you can't say like, if he had a full season, I can kind of look at it and say he's going to get maybe this percentage bump, but I just, I don't really know where they're at with that. But rather than sort of, rather than starting guys late or, or ending guys early, they like to kind of just piecemeal it out throughout the year and have them go wire to wire. I think that's, that's the general plan, you know, health wise dictate that. Mm-hmm. You know what's really interesting, Chris? I was uh, thinking about Mackenzie Gore when we were preparing for the pod. And I looked it up and I thought, well, he must be about 26 or 27. He's only going to be 24. He's, he's, yeah. It feels like he's been around forever. Um, he's he's somebody that's a really interesting guy. I don't know how much he'll be able to throw either, but I think it's a really interesting pickup for them there in that Soto trade. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, if you look at his April and May last year, it's a short, short burst, but I mean, he looked like, you know, a frontline major league starter, future ace type stuff. So, I mean, you know, obviously the Nationals are banking on, but I think if like, you know, you, you told Padres fans there, he's going to be in a trade, you know, come summer, they probably would have been, you know, not happy, but then the guy gets hurt and maybe fades a little bit from the public conscious and it's not as hard to swallow, but I think he could be a really interesting piece for them down the line. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, going back to our earlier conversation about uh, the Nationals philosophy, I when I heard he was being traded to the Nationals, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, because like I, I don't feel like they have the best. I mean, obviously you had Strasburg, but he was kind of a, a special talent, um, you know, so I was kind of like, I don't know if that's the best landing spot for him. Um, yeah. But uh, hopefully with these changes that they're making, they uh, improve on the development side with their pitching. You brought up Josiah Gray. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on him. Do you see um, another level for him uh, this coming year? Yeah, I, I mean, I see certainly an improvement on what he did last year just because he really got knocked around. And he started to throw a sinker down the stretch. And I think that would be huge his breaking stuff's good i mean it's, it's really good and if he can get to that and he can pitch backwards but he needs a fastball and he needs something that moves a bit because he just the four seam wasn't missing barrels last year and you saw it in the home run total if you look at sort of the stat cast numbers on like you know that the way that they quantify how pitchers did against his fastball it was a really terrible pitch and his <laughs> then you look at his slider and it's a you know one of the better pitch sliders in the league so he needs to get something that can get guys off his, the barrel, and, and I think the sinker moving a little bit in, you know, in the right, in the righties and away from lefties could be could be a major factor. Of course, he has to be comfortable with it. Can't just be, he can't just throw it just because it moves a little bit. But um, the four seam didn't work, and it might work better again if he has two two options that they put in the guy's head. But it, it, it's it's going to come down to that for me is adding that second fastball and seeing if it can help the breaking stuff play. For sure, uh, Jesse. Our our good friend Kaba Joey, as they call him there, right? Is yeah. he is that performance at the end of last year sustainable for him this year? I mean, I think he helped a lot of fantasy players down the stretch. Obviously, a lot of people didn't know very much about him. He put up some incredible numbers there for a time period. Is this sustainable? Is he going to be their starting first baseman this year? Do you think? I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities. Yeah, because I at the winter meetings the way they were discussing him was they want to get a lefty bat 
that can DH and maybe play some corner outfield, but they have, and they have, now they have Jamer Candelario who they can play first on Joey's off days, but they were really saying they actually want him to DH on his off days, which to me means he's going to get a ton of at bats. So if he's playing first, a lot of the time, they're probably going to bring him out of the outfield uh, from what I understand, but really make him their everyday first baseman. And then when he needs this arrest, they want him to still get at bats as DH. So he's going to get opportunities to prove if it was a Mirage or not. That's for sure. He's not going to get buried. I don't think, um, yeah, I mean, as far as he, I mean, he, he was, it was really interesting because like there were stretches where he was just crushing fastballs and then he started to see a lot of breaking pitches. And then there were stretches where he was not hitting fastballs well, but he was crushing breaking balls. So like he was pretty good at countering the counter adjustments and like, that's all mm-hmm. you can ask for. And the guys knew like that. That's who you want to see. I mean, it's like what I was really kind of worried about on his end was like, okay, he's coming up. No one really knows him. They're, throwing a bunch of heaters and now he's going to just get buried, you know, they're going to just go away from him, but, but it didn't really happen. And, and what, and what was most impressive with him was he was just, he was beating every mistake. So that's what you have to do, right? I mean, major league pitchers are just like otherworldly good. Even the, the <laughs> mediocre guys are throwing 96 with hooks. So it's like, I think that the fact that like every time someone missed middle in in his sweet spot or, or hung something away, he would, you know, dump it into the right center gap. It was just pretty remarkable that, that he didn't, waste a lot of opportunities to get to you know what pitches he could handle so you know does the number of those go down a bit and he regresses yeah i don't know if he's like a 330 hitter um right right on a 40 home run pace but i I do think you know he could he could be an above average major league hitter for sure and like he showed in the minors his he was projectable i think guys make a lot of contact uh were you know what the nationals wanted and they just thought they could lift his launch angle a bit and get him to pull the ball a little bit more there was some more power there so they did that and and the results were really good you brought up uh, Heimer Candelario. Um, wondering, is he going to be an everyday player for them? Yeah, that's my understanding. I wrote this the other day. I think the team is going to frame it as a competition with Carter Kibu, um, which makes sense. I mean, he's you know former top prospect, and and you're, you're always going to have to give that guy a shot. I mean, but people I've talked to um, anonymously, they believe that Carter might need some more, more time, which has a decent spring. I mean, he just hasn't played since. In the majors since October of 2021. He's coming off major elbow surgery, which is for a third baseman is a little tricky. So I think just a chance to get back in the rhythm. And like, you know, if he goes down to AAA and mashes and they want to bring him up, then maybe Candelario's at bats get caught a bit um, or you know, they move him around the infield or whatever it is. And um, I think maybe if Kibum is, you know, lighting the world on fire in, in spring training, that could change. And maybe they do bring them up and try and just fit them into the same lineup. But I believe Kendallari was signed to play every day. I mean, they see him as a guy that can maybe flip at the deadline. He's a bounce back candidate. Mm-hmm. Sure. Opportunities on there. So I, I think, I mean, he can play some first. He could DH. So there's a way to fit them in. You know, I mean, again, if Carter's excellent and he's back and he's, you know, a lot better than he was in his previous chances, then yeah. I mean, maybe they could DH Candelario, you know, Carter plays third. But no matter what, I think it's the takeaway would be that Candelario is going to get the amount of at bats an everyday player would somewhere in the lineup. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I hope the Carter Keyboom uh, dream still lives, as well as Victor Robles. It sounds like they're going to get one kind of last last shot here to prove themselves. Speaking of guys getting opportunities, Jesse, um, talk a little bit about Luis Garcia. Now, obviously, he's you know they're planning to move him back to second base and and get some playing time alongside Abrams playing shortstop. How do you see that move back to second base impacting him? Do you think that? having a a specific position and knowing that he's going to be kind of locked in there is going to help him uh, at the plate. He looked a little lost at certain points last year. 
Yeah, I think it's a good point because he's not a major league shortstop. And I think that was weighing on him because he showed it in AAA and, and, and every indication was that he wasn't able to do that. And they tried to sort of, I mean, it's like sort of you know, square, square peg round hole sort of deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's similar to Abrams. Uh, so is so is Cabert Ruiz and the Nationals have these three young players who just are really swing happy and they have to get them to be more selective. I think they all have really good bat to ball skills, which is, you know, sort of a coach speak, but like they can put the ball in play, but that doesn't have to be bad. Like, you know, you, you get yourself out a lot early in counts by just swinging at a pitch just because just because you can't hit it. I mean, Garcia kind of jokes about it. Like we'll get their post game sometimes. And we're like, you walk tonight. And he's like, I know, I don't know how, I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like he's, he's got to, he's got to figure that out because, to be a true everyday player, like you have to, you can't can't get let pitchers off the hook, you know that that often. So you know, he's got some pop. He's he, he can hit. He's certainly has like skill at the plate, and his hands are really good. I, I just think that um, the plate approach for him, Abrams again, Ruiz, like Darnell Coles, and the analytics guys, and the and the and the you know game planning dudes. Like, I mean, they have, they have their work cut out for those three because they're they're talented players um, with with really good tools. I just think like how they actually approach that bat that bat is leaving a lot to be desired. So he's, he's in that camp, but I think, I think you make a great point that just not having to worry about making two errors a game or, you know, burning his starting pitcher is probably going to take a big load off him. And he's much better fit at second base. I am curious to see though, without the shift, if he's quick enough to cover the whole right, mm. the right side. So um, I don't, I don't think he has enough pop to be a first baseman, but I think he's going to certainly be tested at second this year for sure. Jesse, I wonder if you could tell us uh, or identify one under the radar player, whether uh, they're MLB or minor leaguer, who you think could surprise us and and make some noise this upcoming season. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think their rotation depth is not great right now. So you start to look at like who could be that next guy because there's going to be some injury. There's going to be a need for someone to go on a stretch midsummer where they, you know, have five, six, seven starts in a row, maybe even stick. So I think like Jake Urban's an interesting name. They protect him from the rule five draft. Um, they've, they've really liked what they've seen from him. And the, number, the numbers and, you know, the minors don't like pop off the page, but he's been pretty consistent since Tommy John surgery a couple of years back. So um, I just, I just think like he's going to get some opportunities because he's in that next, you know, wave of pitchers, the sixth, seventh option. Um, and mm-hmm. after non-tendering Eric Fetty and, uh, on the ball, Sanchez is a free agent, not on the team anymore. They they kind of have a bit of a gap there between those three guys we were talking about earlier, and then there's Patrick Corbin, and then Steven Strasburg's health is such such a question mark that you know you can't really expect much from him right now. So who's that next week? And I think Urban's right there. I'd imagine he starts the year in AAA, and uh, and is kind of right on the doorstep. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if he's you know the next big thing, but I think he could be a solid contributor, and um, if given the opportunity, absolutely. Um- Jesse, you know, we didn't when we got started, we didn't really give you much of an opportunity to talk a little bit about how you got started in the field. And it's something that we always are really interested in our guests uh, talking about. How did you get started working in the field and, and getting into baseball and uh, share a little bit about that, if you'd be so kind? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking. Um, I went to Syracuse University and worked at the student paper there um, and did sports, not baseball, no baseball team on campus. So. And then after school, I went to work at the LA Times for a bit. Did not do baseball there either. And uh, but then at the Post, um, I started at the Washington Post in February 2017. And kind of just sort of like climbed the traditional ladder. I did high school sports, then some college sports, and then got on the Nationals beat when Jorge Castillo, who's now at the LA Times, um, left to cover the Dodgers. So kind of just backfilled his spot. Um, I've been on the beat ever since. Uh, so it's my trajectory is not like necessarily baseball focused, but it's more so kind of getting in the newspaper industry and sort of climbing the ladder from there. 
That's really cool. Could you share a, a funny story or interesting story in your time covering the team? We always ask our reporters that as well. Uh, something that you thought was really funny or something that was really cool that maybe the average fan might not have access to. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so this past year I was wearing, uh, I'm not, I don't consider myself sort of a big fashion person, but I was wearing a, uh, it's like a corduroy, sh- like sort of shirt jacket, they call it. So it's like a warmer shirt. And I was in Dave Martinez's press conference. I think it was back in April. And he's like, I like that. I could wear that. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, send, send me the link. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, I will. So um, after the press conference, I text him the link to it. And he's like, all right. All right. Yeah, I don't want to get the same color as you. And I'm thinking like, don't you have a game to manage? It's coming up pretty soon. You're texting me about clothes. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, And then like, so then like maybe a month later, uh, usually the door swings open uh, to the preseason, the pregame press conference, and like he walks right in. But this time the PR guy opened it. And he was kind of giggling. I'm thinking, what's going on? And he he, he walks in with the same thing, uh, the jacket, and he's like straight struts in as if it's like a runway. So I think I'm like the first. I don't know if I'm the first. One of the few reporters like influence manager fashion, which like I don't know who that's bad. I think that's either bad for me or I don't know who it's bad for. I think we should talk. <laughs> But uh, it was it was pretty funny, and he and he did not wear it for the pregame. I think he has to get the logo out for the sponsors, or whatever it is. MLB wouldn't have liked him probably wearing that on TV, but um, it was good. It was it was a good laugh in the, in the season. You know, so that's hilarious. Spend so much time around those guys. You got to mix it up somehow sometimes. So. That's that's a good story. Yeah, you are. It sounds like a trendsetter. So yeah, right. No, I for sure. I don't, yeah, again, like I don't know if your trend wants to make you know fifty or five year old manager David. Yeah, he would really hate. <laughs> Davey, if I, if you listen to this, you're not that old. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you, maybe, you maybe want like a younger person to be like, you look cool, not the manager of the baseball team. So, well, listen, I, I'll take anything. I don't care, old, young, whatever. <laughs> any any compliments, I'll take them. But uh, anyway, Jesse, thank you so much for your time. I uh, appreciate you know, especially coming on today, right after coming back from uh, from San Diego. There, we really appreciate you, um, you know, putting aside the time for us. Can you tell our listeners? where they can find your work. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, I'll, I'll plug a few of us, both me and Andrew Golden, who cover the Nationals, Chelsea James, who covers the league at large, and then Barry Shaluga, who's sort of our baseball and, and local sports columnist. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good crew, and I think we put out a lot of good stuff. So, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. And I also Washington Post is one of the strongest papers in the world, man. So, the good yeah, work there. Yeah, we're trying it. Appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and I'll plug your Twitter here at Doherty underscore Jesse. Uh, is where they could find our listeners can find you on Twitter. All right, thanks again, Jesse. We are going to take a quick break. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. Yep, appreciate you guys. Yep, have a good night. You too. Welcome back. All right. I am back with my co-host. We just finished our interview with Jesse Doherty. I thought another really good, informative uh, discussion. So, Mike, want to start out by asking you, what were uh, some of the takeaways that you had from the interview? Well, my takeaway primarily was this is going to be a pretty bad baseball team. Um, There doesn't seem to be a lot of hope for uh, competition this year in terms of them getting out of the cellar. They have some young players that might be of some interest to us as fantasy players, guys that um, are going to have an opportunity. And we know that later in drafts, we're looking for guys that are going to have an opportunity. 
Um, I'm not really sure <laughs> how that's all going to play out. I don't think any of us are, but that was my big takeaway is that this is not a very good team. And even that they have a lot of question marks, especially uh, in their pitching staff. It seems like to me, how about you, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, I realized that even like when I was prepping for the pod, I'm like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> what are we going to talk about? I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal. Um, you know, especially from a fantasy perspective, there's just really, like you said, there's a, a few young pitchers that we could have some interest in, um, you know, some younger players that are going to get playing time, but really no one that I'm super excited about for fantasy. Uh, but I'll, I'll throw this out to you and I, I put a poll out on Twitter and I'll share the results in a, in a second here. But uh, I'm wondering, like at it at their current ADP, um is there who are you most excited about out of uh, all the Washington Nationals? Well, that's that's a really good question, Chris. Um, I, my my gut is to say no one, but I know that that's not a, a response that we can use here, and it's a cop out. I would say, based on where ADPs are right now, a guy that I have some level of interest in, just because of the power speed combination, is Lane Thomas. Although he did not do as well at home as he did on the road last year, and that gives me some pause. But this is a guy that definitely, with an opportunity, could have double-digit home runs and double-digit seals. Batting average is probably going to be a little bit of a, a drawdown for you, something he's not going to help you in. But with an everyday opportunity and five to 600 at-bats, I mean, I think this is a guy that could get you 20 home runs and you know somewhere around 15 steals. Uh, and later in a draft, I mean, his ADP right now – um, I think is about 279. And at that point of the draft, I, I feel comfortable taking somebody like Lane Thomas if I have some projectability of having the home runs and the steals, which I'm always kind of a sucker for trying to get late. Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. I mean, I, I went down the Lane <laughs> Thomas path. <laughs> I went down the Lane Thomas path uh, last year. And, I, and really, he made me look pretty foolish. Um, I'm trying to pull up now. I had a tweet that basically was uh, in a kind way saying that the people fading Lane Thomas were just imbeciles. Um, <laughs> so that really didn't work out well. Um, uh -huh. I had him in a lot of spots. And to be honest with you, man, I just kind of I think he is what he is. I, I think he's just uh, he's a fourth outfielder type. You know, mm -hmm. he's going to get some run here on the Nationals. Uh, because they don't have much else. But I think we also have to be cautious because sometimes we talk ourselves into players with, with that argument like, oh, there's nothing else there. Bottom line is there's always some someone else there. If Lane Thomas goes out and he goes into another slump like he did last year when he lost his job, he's going to lose his job again. There will mm -hmm. be somebody they're going to call up from the minor leagues who, who they're going to give a look at because really he's 27. Uh, it's not like he's some, you know, hotshot prospect that they're going to just give every opportunity to like. Uh, and there's also the platoon issue. Uh, it's mm -hmm. pretty clear he struggles against righties for his career. He's got a 26 percent strikeout rate against them. Much he better gets. against lefties, below 20 percent against lefties. He's you know, hits for more power against them. So it looks like he's going to kind of fall into that role of more of a, a short side platoon guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm just very cautious. and I, and. I think people might get sucked into, you know, they see him on roster resource as, uh, you know, the, the leadoff hitter and people are gonna be like, well, you know, I'll take the leadoff hitter for any team 
at, mm-hmm. at that price. But I, I think we're going to we just have to be cautious with that because I, I, I think there's also a possibility he just he ends up losing the job. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I have to really kind of consider strategy this winter a little bit more uh, and really looking at what I do, because I really do find like those guys that have the 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 double digit home run and steal possibility to kind of really get me going like a Pavlov dog. You know, like I I get really excited about those kind of guys. I'm like, oh, maybe I know something that somebody else doesn't know. And then you get stuck with a 220 average and a guy that's DFA'd in May, you know, like. I don't want to find myself in that position. So I probably really do need to consider reconsider my stance on those types of guys. I've never taken him as a guy that I felt was a starter, but as a guy that I had on my bench and a fill in in NFBC leagues, if I needed somebody down the road and that's not exactly worked out very well for me to your point. Yeah. I think we also have to consider with the rule changes and I think stolen bases are uh, going to be a little bit easier to find this season. So Lane Thomas's 15 stolen bases with meh power and meh batting average is really not going to be that valuable. And I don't see, you know, last year I felt like there was a potential that maybe he's just an under the radar guy and we could see him really like maybe there's some upside. I think we have enough of a sample, especially now at his age at 27, that I don't see... I don't see that potential. I don't see all of a sudden Lane Thomas becoming a, a top 50 player. You know, I think it, we, we kind of know what he is. So uh, really not not too interested in him. Uh, I did put out a poll on Twitter. I didn't include Lane Thomas in this one, but I had uh, Joey Manessis, um, CJ Abrams, and Mackenzie Gore were the three options that I listed. And I, I asked uh, our uh, our fantasy baseball Twitter people uh, who they were most interested in. Um, and it looks like CJ Abrams mm-hmm. was the winner of that. Not by too much. He was uh, ahead of Mackenzie Gore. So tell me, Mike, CJ Abrams, he's going around like pick 250. Are you interested in him at that price? Um, no, I, I, I'll tell you, I think he's a guy that I'm going to let show me what he can do first before I'm going to invest. I mean, I think he had two home runs last year, seven steals, not a ton of at bats. I don't know that his profile really helps you in any way, shape or form, especially as a middle infielder where I feel like there might be better options, uh, at that point in the draft than Abrams. Some people really like his upside. I don't really know him well enough to know what that upside is. Uh, and I, I kind of want to give him a year to prove it to me and see what he is. And then maybe in 2024, God willing, uh, that we're all drafting and doing those things, then I would look at him more deeply then. I just don't see me getting a lot of shares of Abrams at this point until I can sort of believe in what I see a little bit more. Um, you said God willing. Well, is there something that I don't know about that might happen in the next year that we might not well, be drafting you know, in 20? No, life is precious, right? You know, you never know what's going to happen. Okay. You hear stories all the time about people being struck down or not being able to do the things that they once were able to do. So I'm I'm hopeful that we'll all be here and be able to draft next year in 2024 that, you know, there's not the end of the world doesn't befall us or. You know, right, something, right. God forbid, doesn't happen to one of us is more along the lines of what I was oh, okay. thinking. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know if maybe, you know, I've been off Twitter for like 15 minutes, so I didn't know if anything. Uh, <laughs> I missed There's no labor yet. unrest yet. No labor unrest yet, as far okay. as we know. So. All right, good. Well, keep me posted if anything like that happens. But um, 
Yeah, I'm really I'm with you on Abrams at that price. I'm I think I'm out as well. Uh, the one thing we're really looking uh, to Abrams for is the stolen bases, and you know Jesse talked a little bit about it. It's just his plate approach, and I can't imagine all of a sudden he's going to be a, an on base machine. You know, we got to think about that. And just as a, a quick aside, this was one lesson that I learned last year when we're we're targeting stolen bases. We really should be thinking about OBP. Yes. Right? And I missed on John Birdie last year because of that. You know, I, I just kind of dismissed John Birdie. I, partially, I think the reasons were somewhat valid. You know, I, I was kind of iffy on his playing time. It just everything worked out well in that regard for him. But when you have a guy who can steal bases and get on base, it's uh, it's intuitive but sometimes it's something i know personally uh, and i know other people as well overlook so if we're looking to cj abrams for stolen bases and he has you know sub 300 obp and he's really struggling against lefties like i i don't know if that's really if if that's going to pay off for us you know because <laughs> the other the other categories i i don't see all of a sudden him jumping into a 15 to 20 home run player you know he's, he's probably going to hurt us in that area Probably yes. going to hurt us in batting average. Um, the counting stats probably aren't going to be great because that lineup is going to be putrid. So what am I really getting out of him? And yeah, he's going later, but still around pick 250, there's still other players that I feel like are are more valuable uh, that are a better bet at that sure. point. So he's going to yeah. be another player that I'm I'm kind of out on. I agree with you. I think one of the things that will happen a lot of times with guys like Abrams is that there will be some other owner playing in a league that I'm playing in who will see upside that I don't see and probably draft him before I would be comfortable drafting him, which means I won't get him probably anywhere. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So we're going to move into we did this on our White Sox episode. and uh, Oh, boy. Yeah, um, I'm not trying to embarrass you, Mike. I'm not trying to make you look silly, but I think <laughs> it's just a fun little, you know, a uh, way to point out some interesting stats for each of these players. So, uh, again, this is called a numbers game. So I'm going to give Mike uh, a name of a Nationals player, give him a number associated with that player, and then have him guess to what that number might be. So I'm going to start with Joey Meneses, and oh, the boy. number is 371. I think you're going to get this one. Was, um, OBP? Nope. Hmm. Uh, not as batting average. Nope. But uh, it's it has something to do with batting average. It has batting average in it. Uh, three. Me down, baby. I know you got this. <laughs> <laughs> I said I said OBP. You said no. I said batting average. You said no. Yeah, I say batting. You're like halfway there. I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry. His batting average on balls in play. Oh, Babip. Gotcha. Sorry, yeah. it's been a long day, man. Yeah, I could wow. tell. I, I thought you were going to get I, I kind of, you know, I was preparing for this. I'm like, you know, I, I want to give you something. I don't want to make it so that it's almost impossible for you to get every time. So I was banking on <laughs> that be, one. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many wrong I get in a row. I mean, I yeah. think this could this could go on for weeks. Quite yeah, honestly. I, I think we, this will be fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely we'll we'll keep tabs here. I love but, it. Uh, I love yeah, it. Joey Meneses, 371 Babbitt. Wow, uh, had a 3.24 average, so obviously that was uh, that was 
assisted by by that inflated BABIP. For those who aren't aware, a league average BABIP is around 300. So um, he was definitely running pure there. So what are your thoughts on that, Mike? And just in general, what, what are your thoughts on Joey Manessis this year? Yeah, I mean, my guess would be that he's going to come back to earth, right? I mean, he, he did have a really incredible run there, but really only had about 240 plate appearances uh, at, at, you know, further look, 50-some 50, 50 game sample. Um, I'm guessing that that BABIP is going to come down back to earth, which means that the batting average will go back under 300. Um, I think the power might be legit, though. I mean, I think this is a guy that could hit, you know, 20 to 30 home runs, depending on how much of an opportunity he gets. But the one thing that always kind of gives me pause on these guys is like, and I don't know how you feel about this. It'd be interesting to talk with you about this over a beer. Guys that come up that are older, you know, you you get these Patrick Wisdoms, the Joey Manessas. Are those guys legitimate prospects in your mind, guys that you look at the next year and say, boy, I'm really going to take a chance on this guy? Or do you get a little bit of pause there and say, "Eh, this might have been a one-year yeah yeah i mean everybody's bringing up frank schwindel right yeah i mean it's almost like the same exact uh situation as as frank schwindel last year had that hot second half and and similar skills too right like decent decent contact skills good power uh career minor leaguer we can't use that as the uh the basis of whatever what's going to happen for these types of players moving forward obviously schwindel didn't work out last year Right. Um, so I, I think we got to take it on a case by case basis. I personally, when I look at Manessis, um, he's not someone that I'm going to be targeting. Um, but if you plug in now, I wanted to ask you about this because I find this really interesting. And I know people on Twitter have talked about his projection, according to Steamer, pretty, pretty good. Uh, 27 home runs, 86 RBIs with a 264 average. Yeah. I mean, if you plug that into like an auction calculator, SGP model, like that's going to grade out really well. And he's then he's worth the pick if if he plays to his projections. Uh, I'm skeptical, you know, and, yeah. I, and it's interesting because usually projection sy- systems are the, the ones that bring us down to earth. Right. Like right. we are the emotional humans who overreact to stuff like this. And and here you got a projection system who's really buying into what happened in that 240 plate sample last year. So, um, yeah, I just, I look at something like that, like a, a Manessis or a Schwindel and I'm just, I look at the track record, like the guy's been a career minor leaguer. So yeah. I'm just, I need to see more and, and maybe yeah. that's to my detriment, but I, no, I, I agree. I agree. And you know, I think the other thing you got to think about with this team is who the hell is he going to drive in? I mean, right, even if he's right. batting third or fourth in the lineup, who's batting in front of him? Yeah. I, I can't answer that question today. Can you? No. And, and I mean, look at the, we talked about Abrams and, and Jesse mentioned this. Like you've got Abrams, you've got Luis Garcia. Um, there was uh, Ikaibu Ruiz. All of these guys, I'd imagine the Nationals are going to be the bottom, like at the bottom of the league in terms of on base percentage. So imagine, yeah. How many times is Manessis going to have an opportunity to drive players in? You know, it could be like the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. You know, you had guys there who had like 50 RBIs playing a full season. You know, there's, we have to consider the context and they have them here. Our steamer has them for 86 RBIs. Who, how, where, I, where is that coming from? 
Yeah, and that seems like a high number to me. I mean, it reminds me of the year that like, two years ago when Cedric Mullins hit what thirty home runs with fifty nine RBIs, right. right? Like, who's he going to knock in? I just don't get it. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, so I, I'm not. I'm not sure what is um, what's going on there. But uh, let's move on to the next uh, next player. I've got Luis Garcia. And this kind of ties into our earlier discussion. I'll give you a little bit of a of a hint or what I just mentioned about him. The number is three. Um, s- stolen bases. Nope. Uh, well, you weren't going to get this one. So this is the percentile finish uh, according to Statcast for chase rate. So just oh. kind of building off of what we just talked about, uh, just a putrid chase rate and. You know, maybe there was something last year where he just wasn't in the right mindset playing shortstop and that impacted him at the plate. Uh, but more than likely, it's just kind of part of his game, right? He's he's an aggressive hitter. He does have a good hit tool, does have good bat to ball skills. But like Jesse said, if you're chasing that much, you are going to hit into a lot of you're going to make a lot of weak contact. You're going to make a lot of easy outs. And at, at the extreme levels, you really do not want that. You want players who could be aggressive, but not to that level. So that's another reason I, I know people are hoping to have uh, maybe hit on some upside with Luis Garcia. He is young. He's only 22, came up as a 20-year-old. So possible that there's some development there. But uh, I, I just I just don't see like for fantasy how he's going to be that valuable. Again, the context not good. He's not really a big stolen base guy. He he has a very uh, high ground ball rate around fifty percent. So with him as well, like what are you really getting? Well, Chris, I wanted to say this in my own defense here. Um, in looking at his at his statistics as you were talking about him. Luis Garcia did have three stolen bases last year. Wow. So I'm going okay. to, I'm going right. to, so pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to pat good. myself on the back, but I agree with you. I mean, I think this is a guy that, you know, develop is, but he's a, a low OBP guy. He doesn't really steal bases. He did hit seven home runs last year, but that was in 377 plate appearances. So I don't really think again, that this is a guy that you want to be targeting in drafts. Um, maybe an end game filler if it's a, if it's a situation where you feel like maybe he might be able to hit on some magic here, but you know he looks like a pretty average guy at this point. Let's give him a year and talk about him next year. Yep, totally agree. All right, C.J. Abrams, number is seventeen. Uh, seventeen could be the molecules of serotonin that I have left as winter approaches here in <laughs> Chicago. No, that's not the right that's answer. Yeah. So, no, that's not the answer. Uh, uh, I'm 17. Yeah. 17. Huh. Let's see. 17. Um, oof. We, we know he didn't. St- we talked a little bit about him before. We know that's not home runs. We know that's not steals. Think about the future. Uh, think about the future. Errors? No, no. Uh, it's his projected stolen bases for this year, according to Se- Steam. Really? 17? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So are you going over or under on that? I'm going to go under because I just don't think he's going to be on base that much. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go over slightly. Um, I don't. I think he'll be on base enough, and I think the Nationals. It sounds like from what 
uh, Jesse Doherty was saying that they are going to be aggressive because they're going to have to be in order to manufacture runs. So I think he'll he'll do enough. I could see him going for 20 to 25, especially with the uh, the new rules. Uh, but again, even that with the other downsides to his game, I'm just not sure if that's that's really going to pay off at, at his current price. Yeah, that's interesting, because what did he have last year, like six or seven stolen bases total? I don't have it in front of me. It wasn't a lot. I mean, I, and I know that he's got, obviously speed is his calling card. Uh, but with an opportunity, if he gets five to 600 at bats, I mean, you could very well be right on that. Um, you know, he's going to be on base sometimes, (laughs) even if it's not very often. Right. Yeah. So he had seven in 302 plate appearances. So I think 17. Yeah. I'd say probably I, I go slightly over, maybe like 20, but. Uh, Maybe we'll have to tie a bet to that one for when I'm in New York this spring. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm looking at the projection here for Steamer. They have him batting 267 with 11 home runs. So if you're going by projections, that probably then his current ADP is fine. Um, but I'm I'm a little bit more pessimistic. Uh, Boy, I don't. Steamer's really given some aggressive projections on these Nationals guys. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they got something. They know something we don't. I mean, it's very, very possible. But definitely that that is interesting. Um, let me get to one guy who you know we've been kind of trashing all of the players we're talking about here. But one guy who it feels gross, it feels dirty. But I gotta say, I'm semi-interested in, and this is deep draft champions formats, 15-teamers, um, but I'm looking at Heimer Candelario, who just signed mm-hmm. with the Nationals a couple weeks ago. I asked Jesse about him. It sounds like he is going to be an everyday player, uh, at least to start the season. The number I'm going to give you for him is 228. 228. Oh, uh, boy. Um... With that, no. I was going to say, you know, I know he's famous for getting a, a ton of doubles. I was going to say, is that his career doubles uh, over the course of the last couple of years? But that doesn't make any sense. Um, No idea. None. Yeah, I'll give this one to you, too. And this is another impossible one. But I just like hearing you kind of flounder around here. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure our listeners love it, too. Uh, so 228 was his ADP last year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, that that's why I brought it up. I think it's interesting. Well, I think uh, I think a lot of people thought he was going to really develop more power than what he showed, right? I mean, the year before that, he had a pretty nice year and led the league in doubles if I'm not mistaken in 21. Um yeah. I think a lot of people thought that those ho- those were going to turn into home runs and that did not happen, did it? It did not. I mean, he was a a huge disappointment last year. Another guy who uh I had in multiple spots. I thought he was kind of a I didn't see a ton of upside with him, but I also thought that, you know, he was on a good trajectory. Um, he was he was entering, I think it's 28 year age, 28 season. He had shown some development and he really, really regressed last year. And, um, who knows what the issue was? I mean, playing in Detroit is obviously not a not a good hitters environment. Um, you know, I don't know if there was something personal or, or whatever. But uh, his ADP this year, and I'm looking even just the past couple of weeks since he signed, is still past pick 400, like around 450. Mm-hmm. I think in like a draft champions format, again, it doesn't feel good. 
but as a probably a third third baseman, I'm down with Heimer Candelario. I mean, he's probably going to play. I, I think it's very likely he's going to play every day. He's a switch hitter, um, plays multiple positions. He only he's eligible at third right now, but he could gain mm-hmm. first base eligibility in season. Yep. Um, you know, and he's not going to light the world on fire, but I think he can. Listen, he hit around 270 two years in a row. Right. In 2020 and 2021, he's going to give you average power. So as a as a roster filler, a guy who, if you have injuries, you could plug in, there are worse options, I think, at that stage of the draft than uh, Heimer Candelaria. What do you think? Totally agree with you. And I'll say this, because I think um, I am done with Carter Keboom, as you have, were, were talking about earlier. Yeah. You still want to believe. My guess is that Candelaria will get the bulk of the reps at third base as long as Manessis is performing at first base. I, I don't think Carter Keboom um, really looks like to me just in the limited opportunities that he's had, doesn't look like his hit tool is major league uh, caliber. Now, granted, he's still a young guy too. He's another one of those guys that feels like he's been around for 10 years. He's only 23. So it's possible that all those things could coalesce and he could become better, but He's going to have to cut that strikeout rate significantly if he's going to want to be able to play in the major leagues, even on a, a crummy team like the Nationals. I, I, I see Candelario getting far more of those at-bats and being effective than I do Keeboom at this point. Um, I think Jesse also said in the pod as well that there's some feeling that Keeboom might, Keeboom might need some more minor league seasoning before he's ready to come up. And he's still a young guy, so that's very possible. Carter Keeboom's 23? 23. Come on, no way. No, for real. He came up in 20, in 2019, he came up as a 21-year-old. So he's, oh, he's 24. I'm sorry, 24. My bad. Still, I mean, wow. I, I would have... I'm not a huge like prospect guy, uh, so I haven't been following him the entire time, but it just feels like he's been around forever. So, uh, wow. Yeah, he said he's 355 career at-bats in the, in the major leagues, eight home runs, 197 batting average. 304 OBP, 285 slug, OPS plus 63. Yikes. Yikes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Give it I up. Think, give it up. Chris. I think that dream is dying until the dream is over, buddy. The dream yeah, is over. Yeah. He really just has not, there's been nothing. There's just been nothing, no glimpses uh, that he is going to be what people, um, you know, what his prospect status indicated. So. Uh, but yeah, so I, I'm sorry if we depressed some people <laughs> with this, uh, you know, going through this team. But uh, hey, you gotta you gotta try to uncover every stone when when you're playing this game. So we did our best, um, but uh, we appreciate you listening. Next week we have a team that I think is going to be a little bit. We're gonna have some more fantasy relevant players to discuss, and that's gonna be the New York Yankees. So. Uh, next week, we're going to be recording with Brian Hoke of MLB.com. And, uh, you know, we'll be we'll be talking all things Yankees. He's, I think, good timing, too, because of the judge signing. He's got a new. Oh, did he judge. sign? I didn't I didn't know that. Nobody was talking about it this week. Yeah, no, I know. Wow. It was kind of under the radar, just like on the, you know, a little section of the newspaper there. But uh, he did sign. Uh, thank God I was getting. I really thought for sure that uh, he was going to be going, especially after the arson judge tweet. <laughs> uh, why would I believe John Heyman? I don't know. Uh, That's a fair hey, question. You know, at this maybe point, let's, you know? let's try to get Heyman on to talk about arson judge and Coke Camels. What Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Coke yeah. Camels. Yeah. You know, uh, well, listen, with the way things are going for him right now, 
Um, I think he may be, you know, right now he's like too big for us, I think. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> if if he keeps having these gaffes, I think he may be more open to coming on if, uh, you know, this interferes with his uh, future employment. So you know, maybe his serotonin levels are similar to ours, Taurus. You know, I mean, that could maybe he'll give us a chance because of that. Yeah, yeah, you never know. So, what's the, the worst they could say is no, right? So, I'll, exactly. I'll get on that now. Yeah. Well, one thing I would like to share with the people who are listening to us, uh, and thank you again to those of you who've given us an opportunity to be in your car with you or be in your home as you're doing stuff around the house. Uh, Torres was gloating uh, the morning of the of the um, judge signing, and um, was sending messages through Twitter at like five thirty in the morning, waking me up. Uh, saying it's a great day to be a Yankee fan. And I almost threw up on myself. Just (laughs) there might not be, we'll have to talk about this at some point. And I know that it's not part of this podcast, but is there, who is the most obnoxious fan base in baseball? This would be something that I would like to talk to you about over beers as well. Hmm. Cause I would not say that it's the Yankee fan, but that's me. Yeah. I mean, we're up there. (laughs) We are up there. Top five for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, I, I'm going to have to think about this one. I mean, the Mets, the Mets aren't obnoxious. They're just like, after a while, it's just listening to them bitch and moan gets a little old, (laughs) but, um, you know, obviously I've, I've got my issues with, with Red Sox fans. So, uh, but that's just part of the rivalry. So that, yeah, that's someone that, that's something we'll have to, we'll have to figure out more when, when you come out here and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about, it. about that over some beers. But uh, anyway, we're going to get out of here. Um, look out for this episode coming out next week regarding the Yankees. And then we'll be taking a break. I think we need one uh, for Christmas here. So, all right. And, and hopefully we have Carlos next time, too. So, but uh, anyway, for Carlos, for Mike, for me, thank you for listening to Fantasy Baseball Beat. 